0: And welcome to Pop Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are a Geek Show podcast dedicated to the good, the bad and the befuddling of movies, either starving, about or by pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to science fiction, from documentaries to... I- I've mixed my musical and cinematic genres up. From country <laughs> and western to science fiction, from documentaries to hip-hop. Two things that are exactly in the same category. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Fuck it, let's go. (laughs) I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a filmmaker and a film critic for The Gate Show and horrified.com, the British hover website. I'm also on letterboxed at Graham Williamson and I write inlay booklets for second fun. This week I've been joined by.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Hayton and I'm a writer and director. Indeed, And friend of yes. Graham's. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I very rarely invite my enemies on. <laughs> Maybe I should. It could be interesting. <laughs>
1: it would make for an interesting sparring. Absolutely, section. yeah. match, yeah, I reckon.
0: <laughs> um, and, of course, if you meet people who are incredibly temperamental and difficult towards you, you might end up falling in love, as today's mm. film more than ably proves Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is Moonstruck it's the 1987 film by Norman Jewison that stars Cher and Nicolas Cage two great tastes that taste great together and for me this is kind of the nightmare situation with podcasting where you watch a film and at the end of it you think that was really nice And then the the cold sweat descends on you and you think, how am I going to get an hour out of really nice? How does that work?
1: Oh, we've got plenty to talk about.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. I thought this is why I was happy to have you on, because I know that if all else fails, we do often just go completely (laughs) off the subject. And I'm I'm very comfortable with that this time. Yeah,
1: I am tangent woman. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. So, yes. um, have you seen this film before?
0: Never, never. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think if I've seen any of Norm Juson's other films before as well. I'm sure I must have, but... Um... Uh,
1: yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure what his films are either. Let's have a look.
0: Oh, well, I've seen In the Heat of the Night. Oh, so yeah. something.
1: Is that, they call me Mr. Tibbs?
0: That's the one, Yes. Yes. I didn't realise his career went back this far, actually. I'd always filed him away as a a kind of an 80s Oscar habitué like Sidney Pollock or someone like that. But, yeah, it goes back all the way back to the original Thomas Crown affair.
1: All right. Oh, that's a great film. Mm. Uh, Let's have a look, Thomas Crown. Mm -hmm. Fiddler on the Roof. Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, he's done a few big ones, is not he? He has, yeah. In country, other people's money. I've definitely seen that back in the day. Oh, the hurricane. Okay. Hmm. It's not bad. The thrill of it all. Oh my God, that's Doris Day. I love the thrill of it all. Oh my goodness, that
0: one. I am not familiar with the thrill Ah. of it all, though it clearly has, has thrilled you entirely.
1: It's so good. It's so good. Okay, so Doris Day. Plays this housewife whose husband I think is a surgeon and is probably what do you call him Rockford, James Garner. Oh,
0: James Garner. Yeah, I
1: think if I remember it rightly, and um, they, I think they sort of she sort of randomly gets interviewed, and um, she talks about um the soap that she uses, Happy Soap and um, they like her so much because she's very natural and an adorable housewife that they decide to make her the face of happy soap and the thrill of it all is about her sort of rising fame um, in that in that role Um, and it's just charming it's a charming film and she has the kids and it's like cute and um, James Garner's like, oh, I don't know, she's earning more than me, and I'm a surgeon, and oh, 1950s, 1960s uh, politics going on, like domestic yes. politics, and um, so yeah, it's just adorable. But I think loads of Doris Day films are lovely. So this is true. Just, yes, yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, in in terms of Moonstruck, um, this is sort of atypical as a as a quote-unquote oscar film isn't it in that it is essentially a romantic comedy there's no you know it's not set against the backdrop of any major world conflict no one has a terminal no. illness it's
1: no nobody nobody except possibly cage but nothing that's out outwardly described
0: uh, yeah there's something wrong with Nothing
1: with official <laughs> nothing official like <laughs> Lycan- like a anthropy possibly.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is um, no diagnosis, let's say that.
1: Yes, and we find him in this one with one hand.
0: He has um, one hand. Um, mm, he gets very he angry up. about bread.
1: And also everything pretty angry.
0: And, uh, yeah, everything
1: else. He just goes not to 50 million in 0.6 of a second, whatever he's talking about in this film. The
0: weirdest thing is, I mean, you, you can say that about a lot of Nicolas Cage films and part of yeah. the sort of the semi-ironic online cult of Nicolas Cage started, in my recollection, when people started splicing together compilations of him losing his shit in all manner of different films. And when I was going through it, I thought, these outbursts are very big, they're very maximalist acting, but they're not vampires kiss are they they're not like absolutely insane cage rage it's still just about <laughs> oh, fits within red. a light <laughs> comedy mm,
1: I haven't seen vampires kiss who's in that who's he who's he exploding at in that oh I
0: have no idea yeah I must have, I've never seen vampires kiss but I've seen the famous clip of him like offloading on a secretary you cannot file correctly <laughs> oh
1: <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure that's Vampire's Kiss. It's like Nicholas Cage. Gigantic (laughs) acting.
1: Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Oh, it's such a treat. (laughs) Well, I mean, we see, I mean, within the first five minutes, we noticed that the share character is gonna go on a a slight journey as well. I, I feel I felt quite conflicted during this because. Her her sort of change seemed so rapid.
0: Yeah. And it's entirely so... hair dye-based, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's obviously the transformation scene, which you're gonna get in any 80s film featuring any woman um, <laughs> yeah. doing doing anything. Um so yes, she's a, she's I mean, it's Cher and she's a goddess, and um, but you first see her. And she's dowdy and plain and there's a lot of beige going on and she's got grey in her hair and she just pulls it back and it's all plain. And she works in a funeral parlour behind <laughs> a desk, not even one of the interesting roles in a funeral parlour. Yes. And, um, And you're thinking, that's Cher? Um, but in the very similar way to all Hollywood films, they've made her dowdy and plain, but uh, it's still Cher. I mean, you know. Ooh. Yeah, I mean... She's still, a, yeah, an absolute goddess.
0: On paper, you would look at this film and the, the capsule summary is Cher plays a, a dowdy, middle-aged woman whose life Providing is revitalised when she pl- meets sex god, Nicolas Cage. And you think, whoa, hold on, I'm still objecting to the first characterization. <laughs> you don't throw <laughs> another one at me. Yes,
1: yeah, steady on. <laughs> but weirdly
0: it works I was trying to think what yeah. worked about that characterization. I think one of the, the strange things about it which they can't possibly have known when it was in production but that grey in Cher's hair because she's never had that in real life she's always dyed, dyed it mm. um, that weirdly makes her completely plausible as someone other uh. than Cher
1: yeah, I mean they've worked on it to make her look like that. They've very much downplayed the makeup and mm. made <laughs> ill-fitting, unshapely <laughs> clothes for her, and a, like a very bland wardrobe. And then somehow, somehow, she's going out with Danny Aiello.
0: I, I so, mean, it, it sounds. How weird, how
1: is she going out with How is she going out with him?
0: In a strange way, I ship it. <laughs>
1: he was also a little tidbit um if you've ever seen the papa don't preach video with madonna he plays the dad who's like um i've made up my mind i'm keeping my baby and he's just like you you're my daughter you're not my daughter anymore or whatever you know, <laughs> you know, dad reaction um so yes that, that's danny a love
0: that's interesting that because madonna Obviously, has her roots in that kind of Italian New York Catholic sure. upbringing, uh, but she became universal very quickly. Nowadays, Madonna's like background is Madonna; she is just Madonna. <laughs> and no cultural context matters. Uh, this takes a, a woman who. I mean, Cher's actual background, her father was Armenian, her mother had various kind of Irish and Cherokee racial backgrounds, but yeah. back in the 60s, her niche was just exotic, Exotic, wasn't it? That yeah, was without
1: going of... into all that detail. Yeah. And she sort of, uh, I think, played on that with mm. hits like Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves. And, Absolutely, yeah. Um, and sort of being on the, a part of the subculture at the time of hippies and, and whatnot. So yeah, exotic is, and she looks so glamorous. Oh my god! If you've seen some of her old programs, um, and share specials and the share show and all this business and sunny and share show, and she just looked absolutely stunning. I mean, she's just beautiful looking.
0: We should we should double back and talk about the origins of share's career because she has been share at maximum shareosity for so long. <laughs> it... Oh yes. It can be quite yeah. difficult to double back and think, oh, oh, yeah, originally her gimmick was, you know, she was one half of a married couple and that was yeah. it. Yeah, the singing couple.
1: And somehow she was going out with Sonny Bono.
0: Which is, again, yeah, makes How Danny Iello seem normal. I
1: know, I know. Um, but yeah, uh... <laughs> and started like in so many parodies as well. <laughs> <laughs> what What's um, your
0: favourite Sonny and Cher joke? Because my absolute favourite is that one on The Simpsons where someone wakes up from, like, 25-year coma. And he into uh, this podcast, actually, because he says, does Sonny and Cher still have that dumb TV show? And Kent Brockman goes, uh, no, she has an Oscar and he's a senator. And the guy just goes, good night! And lapses <laughs> back into the coma straight <laughs> away.
1: Yeah, yeah, he sort of followed the... Um... The very sort of well-trodden path nowadays of um somebody who's famous in entertainment then going to become governor of California. Yes. It's kind of a, a a well-worn like cliche if you like now.
0: <laughs> when you look back on it, even though that was her inaugurable point, that is quite a, a weird pairing. And I can't quite work mm. out how much. Their appeal back then was chalk and cheese, because with the best will in the world, he always looked like someone who was going to end up being a Republican senator.
1: Yeah, he, he looked like, he, to me, he looked like Gomez Adams, and I used to com- yes. confuse the two. <sighs> um... Oh What's man, the if they made an guy? Adams
0: family movie back in the 60s, you could not better that for casting, <laughs> couldn't
1: you? Apart from the guy who did play Gomez, whose name I've forgotten. What's he Well called? it was Val
0: Julia in the 90s. No, and... no, the oh. previous guy. Oh, of course, there was a TV series. Yeah,
1: but Raul Julia was excellent as Gomez Adams. What yeah. a lovely, what a lovely performance that was. Let me see if I can find out who did um um, Gomez Adams, that's him. Oh, yeah, yeah, where is he? John Aston.
0: all oh, right, right. Um,
1: and I think Sean Aston is a thing now, who is his Branson, I guess.
0: I you and say also a thing an actor. Sean aston has been going for yonks, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean... yeah, yeah,
1: well, yeah. yeah.
0: I remember him in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and he wasn't a fresh face back then.
1: No, I think he did, yeah, he was doing sort of uh, coming to the fore probably in the 90s, I guess. I think so, But that's now in my head. (laughs) (laughs) I have some some problems with time dilation at times. (laughs) So So getting back to Moonstruck.
0: Moonstruck, yeah, Mm. which, I mean, we've mentioned it's, uh italian american setting i have to say opening your film with amore by dean martin is not the subtlest way of establishing <laughs> the kind of cultural environment that you're. yeah
1: exactly in. it plunks you straight in it's a very quick entry into that world and i suppose it does some of the work for you in mm. trying to accept that Cher is now italian american <laughs> yeah uh, and somehow going out with Danny Aiello um I think uh, did, uh, there's I mean she was older than Nicolas Cage as well in the movie still looks fabulous obviously because it's mm-hmm. Cher um but how old was let me see so there's I think there's like a 14 year age difference between the two in this movie um and um but they look they still look great together. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 we were talking about this one when we were watching, actually, um, the fact that um, in Hollywood, it seems to be a trope where it's normal for um, an older guy to be with a younger woman. Like, that's kind of normal in all the 1940s movies and so on. And then in this, you get a, a, a repeating vignette of... Mm. There's a guy with a, a young a girlfriend who's too young for him and she just obviously throws a drink over him regularly and nicks up. And
0: it's um, John Horney, right? It's John the yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, from Frasier.
0: Love that guy.
1: Mm, yeah, lovely, lovely guy. Um, so it got us thinking about why that's such a thing. Is that like an ego massaging thing or is it? you know um, was that genuinely couples at the time I don't feel like it was I think it was just like a Hollywood thing of plonking you know making older actors look young or vital or interesting or
0: oh yeah um, there's definitely the cultural double standard isn't there where as men mm. age they become craggy and interesting and distinguished when whereas as women get older they just become unfuckable don't they? That's yeah kind of the, exactly uh, yeah
1: um and uh there's a the great sketch actually by Amy Schumann Your Last Fuckable Day. Yes seen that? Seen it. yeah, yeah. Tina Perfe <laughs> and Amy poehler's in it as well. Um and it's it's really a, a huge thing and, and 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 do we I mean do we think there's any inroads being made there now? Um
0: I think people call it out more, but there are mm. sometimes I mean I don't know if you've been following the production of this Napoleon biopic that Ridley Scott's trying to get off the ground, where mm. he's had this rotating door of Josephine's. It's always been whacking Phoenix as Napoleon, which as casting. I like, I dig that. Yep. yep, Um makes sense. But every single woman he's had in playing Josephine has been like 10, 15 years younger than him, even though in real life, Josephine was six years older than Napoleon, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, how old is Joaquin Phoenix?
0: I think he's in his sort of mid-40s now, so... Depending on, I don't know. It's almost certainly okay, so... too old for the time period they're going to cover. But hey, yo.
1: So what what, what? what? Maybe Kate Blanchett or somebody like that would realistically play Josephine, possibly.
0: Yeah, or you could sort of make make it ridiculous in the opposite direction and cast share You know, I would back <laughs> that. I think that would be great. Well. Sh-
1: She's finished doing the ABBA musical now. So yes, she's probably available. Honestly, that when she just turns up and it's such a huge moment when she turns up at the end of the ABBA um, musical. And, um, and you just, it's so like, it's obviously loads of soft focus and it's almost like a dream sequence when she appears. <laughs> And um Angie Garcia is going, oh, here's like the love of my life, and she's miraculously turned up on this island. <laughs> um, and she turns up, we're just like, oh, I'm fucking sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like this great moment. She's just, oh, she just exudes that star quality.
0: Now, Mark Harrison and I did Mamamia Hebe Gorgain on this podcast, and. <laughs> One of the things that struck me about that entrance, let's say she gets out of a helicopter, which is, you know, it's not how characters in Ken Loach films tend to enter the frame.
1: (laughs) I mean, Ken Loach could learn from that. Yeah. I think, I think, I think he's missing a trick.
0: I have never seen Paddy Considine enter from a helicopter in a movie. Um, Well, I
1: mean, he could do something similar, but obviously it's slightly lower budget, um, just like an Areva. (laughs) Yes.
0: I've seen Paddy Considine get out of an Uber, but a, re- a really nice one, a good car. Um, a really good car. Uh, but yeah, and it struck us both that in dramatic contrast to Moonstruck, where we've just been talking about how believable she is as this kind mm. of down-at-heel, past-her-best woman, mm. Um that is the only way you can deal with sharing a movie now, isn't it? You have to make her appearance, a massive gala appearance. Absolutely, she cannot be anything else other than a superstar at this stage.
1: Yeah, and I think that I think she absolutely ex- excels doing that as well. Um, mm. If you think back to all her, her videos, like the the standout ones are the ones where she's astride got a giant gun on the front of a warship and wearing well what's basically a mankini what that relates.
0: was uh, i remember that was one of the first music videos directed by sigmund Freud, wasn't it <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs> yes in his later career yes it was <laughs> yeah yeah so yes i would definitely agree with that um did you spot olympia dukakis as well
0: I didn't. I saw that she was in it, but I. Yeah, yeah. I think She's I... like the mom. She's what's it?
1: She's the mom.
0: Oh, right, of, right. Of the yeah. family. Yeah.
1: And um, I remember her from um, Steel Magnolias, so I have a particular fondness for her because that's such a lovely. It was a love. It's a lovely play, and it was a lovely film as well. They really made a lot more of it than you can. Mm. I mean. I mean, you, you've seen films yourself that have been played and they they just have this static feeling about it. But yeah. they did more with it, um, and it was a lovely film. And obviously, you've got Parton is in there as well, and um, oh, who else is in it? Um, Julia Roberts, Daryl Hannah, Shirley MacLaine.
0: Oh, I love Shirley MacLaine.
1: There's Weezer, oh, fabulous! It's such a great cast, and Olympia Dukakis is um, just very sarcastic. Um, yeah. sitting there in the background and it's set in like a hairdressing salon and it's like women sort of chatting and women's issues and blah blah, blah. and marriage and and kids and health and whatever and uh, I, I remember Olympia Dukakis sort of one of her lines was I always say if you've got nothing good to say come sit by me <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and she, it's just full of great one-liners uh, Robert Harling wrote the play and um, and a lot of his Dialogue was just transposed identically into the film. So, well, uh, yeah, well worth a watch. It's a fabulous film.
0: While we're talking about playwrights, my first big shock uh, when I sat down to watch Moonstruck, having, I say, not really known much about this film before, certainly never seen it before, uh, is that it's written by John Patrick Shantley.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, who I, I don't know, remind me?
0: Well, John Patrick Shanley has has an odd career. He's one of those people where, in theatre, he is very well regarded. And if you spoke yeah. to theatre people about him, you would say, "Oh no, yeah, he's a he's a really great American playwright, a great sort of comic he writer." Looks like a priest. Sorry,
1: he looks like a guest star on Father Ted.
0: Well, he wrote Doubt, which was he oh. later directed as a film with uh, wow. Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman. But yeah, his yeah. film career, in contrast to his stage career, has been this series of bizarre ups and downs. Obviously this is an up, you know, this is a very high point. Yeah, After yeah. this he wrote and directed Joe versus the volcano, which people really How like happens? now. But at the time
1: no.
0: boom, it really did not really. work for people at the time.
1: Yeah. Have...
0: And then there's his I latest. I remember it. I
1: don't know whether I've seen that or I can remember it. I can remember the front cover of the VHS video, (laughs) Joe versus the Volcano with Tom Hanks. Who else was in that with Tom Hanks? Was it it
0: Meg Ryan? I think that might have been a Meg Ryan one. Yeah, I I suppose. It is kind of telling that. You know, that's how badly joe versus the volcano flopped That about three years later Sleepless in seattle came out and everyone was like tom hanks and meg ryan who knew that would be such a great screen couple of john patrick shanley's was just sat there thinking what, what where am i in all this what, what?
1: <laughs> um defiance he, he wrote Defiance as well. So, is that the Jewish one? Is that am I right thinking that's the that's Jewish tale?
0: What I would think of the Daniel Craig film.
1: Let me just see. Oh no, I've got the wrong one.
0: Ah, uh, entirely different of? Defiance.
1: Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. No, I've, I'm not. That's not the one I'm thinking of. What am I thinking of then?
0: I thought when, when Rachel you said.
1: Weiss film. With another woman, and the other woman is sort of a really orthodox Jew. Oh, and they sort of fall in love, and I can't remember. I can't remember what it was called. I thought I thought it was something like Defiance.
0: It probably, yeah, I know exactly the film that uh, you're talking about now. It's the Sebastian Lelo film where. Oh. Um, is it Rob and Mick watched it Cinema and I think they came away with a slightly less positive view of it than uh, than you did.
1: Uh, yeah, but...
0: Disobedience. It, was all right. it
1: Disobedience. That's it. Yeah, it's um, it was quite a muted thing. Um, I-, I felt like it was a bit. It was all right. I mean, it was nice, you know, nice to sort of explore. Um, that sort of clash of cultures, but um, it was a bit slow. I yeah. Think. There it is, Joe versus the Volcano.
0: Joe versus the and Volcano. And also,
1: who could forget, we're back, a dinosaur story.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is what I mean. I would forgot how mad his screenwriting career is. He wrote Congo. The...
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Whoa. Congo is one of those like mid-90s blockbusters which is just the sort of l- like yeah. species it's the sort of thing Roger Corman would have done in a sensible movie environment but now okay. it's been made for millions and millions of dollars and it has this insane pick and mix cast of like slumming it character actors.
1: <laughs> Laura Linney, Dylan Walsh, Annie <laughs> Hudson.
0: A yeah. movie about know. an animatronic gorilla should not have Laura Linney in it shouldn't it? <laughs>
1: No, it really shouldn't. But it's based on a Michael Crichton novel. Maybe that's what got her to sign.
0: I think Who that's knows? probably it. around that time Michael Crichton's post-it notes could get a Hollywood deal. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, he did Jurassic Park, therefore yeah. Mm, not, not every hit is out of the park.
0: What I was going to ask you about John Patrick Shanley was, have you heard mm. anything about his most recent film, Wild Mountain Time?
1: Uh, Just the title, I know nothing else about it.
0: It is based on a play he wrote called Outside Mullinger which again, got pretty good reviews when it came out. I can only assume that it's sort of whimsical folkiness played a lot better in the more artificial medium of theatre because Wild Mountain Time as a film became immediately notorious for two things. One, It has an old Irish dad played by that classic Irish thespian, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. (laughs) You imagine Christopher Walken doing an Irish accent and it sounds exactly as mad as you think.
1: Oh, I can't wait to see that. I can't, I'd watch anything with him in. So, yeah.
0: Maybe you'll want to close your ears when I tell you the other thing that I heard about it because this is the ending of the film. Right. Do you want me to go ahead with this Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, spoiler. Hashtag spoilers, but yes, absolutely.
0: There is a lot of intrigue about why Jamie Dornan's character says he can't be with Emily Blunt's character um, throughout the film. And it turns out that it is because he thinks he is a bee.
1: I'm sorry, a word? Mm-hmm.
0: The connection did not go out at any point during that sentence.
1: He thinks he's a bee. A... <laughs> oh, just a bee. He
0: oh. he's just a bee. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, okay.
1: Okay. So, yes, not a, a bee beekeeper not,
0: not a beekeeper a no
1: Beelzebub infatuant not a being and nothingness fan not, okay.
0: not a Beyonce super not fan. a
1: Beyonce super <laughs> just a
0: bee just a bee <laughs> just a
1: bee I mean honestly not since the 50s what's the fascination with bees haven't we talked about this before like what's the what's the fifth the 1950s fascination with it's like a, an insect becoming mm. huge. But it it happens to be a bee, like, on in lots of occasions. It's always a bee. Why isn't it an earwig? Why isn't it a... Oh, well, sometimes it is an, an ant, isn't it? Like soldier ants or fire yeah, ants.
0: Or a fly, like in that classic the Christmas fly. movie. Um, what's it called? The one with the, the fly. <laughs> there. On the waterfront. Oh, this front, guy. That it.
1: That's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But it seems to be like there's a fascination with body horror stuff and it's, and it's uh, a bee uh, and a sci-fi connection with uh, some... I don't know why people are so fascinated with bees and monstrous bees and humans interacting with bees, turning into bees or otherwise sort of melding with bees. That's a... I,
0: I've got to admit, it. As, as a man who has a letterbox list of movies about bees... Uh, Even I did not rush out and see Wild Mountain Time.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I have a thing about my um, about Jamie Dornan though. I do not like him, and it's I, it's nothing. I, you know when you just don't know why you don't like somebody, and it's mm. for him. I just he just makes me cold. And I, what the only thing I can put it down to is the fall, because yeah. he was being harmful to. Um, uh, What she called? Oh,
0: Gillian Anderson.
1: Gillian Anderson, yeah. Yeah. Well, he was he was being very threatening to her, and you know, also wrecking her career and and so on. Um, And you know, that's just mean to Gillian.
0: It is quite weird, isn't it, that at the time uh, he had the luck to go from that into the only major romantic drama franchise where it helps to have played a misogynistic serial killer beforehand which is, which is Fifty Shades of Grey of course. Oh
1: yeah of course yeah yeah which I've also have not seen.
0: A friend of mine said that he, he really wished that when the executives were saying we should get that guy from the fall there'd be a mix up and they'd get Marquis e. Smith instead
1: <laughs> oh, please God <laughs> <laughs> say that copy exists <laughs> <laughs> cool um so let's have a look the oh yeah I one thing I did notice about this film was that it sort of it doesn't always sort of pursue the plot at the expense of everything else it's not it's not really um plot driven and and a big sort of rushing kind of film um there's room for you know, a group of men to chat in Italian, there's room for a guy to take his dogs out. Um, it's not everything that's, um, it's like a, a couple who stay in, uh, pop into a shop and, sorry, a person uh, into the shop and there's a, a nice couple behind the counter and that's mm. a nice moment. And there's loads of these kind of nice little moments that, uh, do you, I mean, do you think that's the thing again from, from stage to screen? so on the stage you can have nice little moments and you're not in any kind of rush do you think the pace is going to be slower and normally when you when you move to film you it has to be kind of plot driven and and much speedier do you think that's a thing do you think i
0: think there's probably two things going on here one of them is that maybe shanley is taking the opportunity of writing a film to have scenes that are not as stringently set up as you would get in a play. You know, the classic example of the difference between theatre and film writing is that a stage play has to open a scene with someone walking in a room, whereas film opens with them already there and talking. And mm. I think I'm glad you you brought up that scene uh, about the couple in the liquor store because that is such a lived-in detail that they're having this sort of weird argument about the wolf or something with themselves. <laughs> I can't and
1: remember, yeah. It, and then it, you, they're so just sort like, of having this massive argument and then it, it, it just sort of dissolves and they just realise how daft each other is and, yeah. and it's just a really sweet moment to end on.
0: I mean, I think it adds to the romantic tone of the film, but it's not, as yeah. you say, it's not plot detail, uh, which is not good because I'm sick of films being all about plot.
1: Mm, it is a shame everything to be you know sacrificed to that Uh, it's it's a weird thing isn't it do you feel like um, as as the centuries moved on um, that that has become the the default
0: yeah I think so I think part of it is just the way that people encounter films and start to learn about films now is very much driven towards th- this certain area of criticism which is about like it, it almost turns it into a video game here are the hacks for writing a good screenplay and when you yeah, see something yeah. that doesn't do it it becomes very easy to say ah that's why it's bad even if it's not actually bad yeah um, but i think maybe maybe what happens to romantic comedies between like this and between when the genre kind of stuttered out a bit in the 2000s, maybe you can see that as a a lesson in the dangers of being too plotty. Because Mm. there is drama in Moonstruck. Cher and Nicolas Mm. Cage are mismatched. You know, they do go through some troubles together. Mm. But it's not, plotty you know it, it's about these characters and their world rather than some big twist that turns it all upside down whereas yeah. by the early noughties it felt like every kind every romantic comedy had to be about a journalist trying to win a weird bet by dating someone in a particular way <laughs> i can't relate to these freaks what the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah um what you, what you sort of long for is, like, just give me a film that's set in Greenwich Village and that'll be fine. Yeah. Or Manchester. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. <it's laughs> a bit more bedded in reality, that'd be good.
0: Yeah, there are not <laughs> many Mancunian rom-coms, aren't there? Danny Boyle's Mr Trick there.
1: Yeah, yeah, peculiar. <laughs> There's some good lines in the some film as well.
0: great lines.
1: Mm. such as he's a wolf who gnawed off his own foot
0: <laughs> there were some good <laughs> lines and some really weird lines listeners.
1: and Cher says I'm looking where I have to to be a wife so
0: she
1: I she feels noted. this huge societal pressure to yeah. obviously conform to that I know
0: a couple that I liked um, the exchange you've ruined my life that's impossible it was ruined when I got here <laughs> um, but also Mr Castorini's advice on pipes is a good line. It costs money because it saves money, which yes. um, nowadays we refer to as the Rhymes' as boots paradox, don't we?
1: Oh, I don't know that.
0: It's from no, a Terry tell me Pratchett book. It's from a Terry Pratchett um... book that um, there's a character called Rhymes who is, is poor, but spends more on boots than a rich person because the rich person buys boots that are very expensive and excellently made and last for years, whereas Vimes can only afford to buy very cheap pairs of boots, which then wear out very quickly. Means that meaning that his total expenses over the years are actually more than the rich man's. Uh, this has been in the news recently because it's called Jack Monroe has. Uh, Try to get oh. a change to the way that people calculate interest rates based oh. on this notion of how, you know, how, how an ordinary family who need to replace things might experience this.
1: Mm. I didn't know that. She's, I think she was in the news yesterday for something and I can't remember what it was now. Was that, was that it?
0: It might have been this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Um, yeah. Do you know which Terry Pratchett novel?
0: I don't know. I should Google this for the uh, interest of our readers. Uh, Sam Vimes' theory of economic injustice uh, is uh, what it's also. Uh, Menace Arms. It's from one of uh, the Discworld right. novels. Uh huh. Yes, and I, think I read uh, the first three. The Pratchett Estate has authorised the Vimes' Boots Index as a phrase that can be used when calculating the effect of poverty on uh, interest price increases.
1: Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, awesome. I'm sure he would approve as well.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not. This is not a hot take, but what a guy! <laughs>
1: yeah, Graham's <laughs> hot take. Yes. <laughs> Um, uh, another another moment from the film, getting completely back into the film, um, that bit where <laughs> he just throws the table aside and kisses Cher. Yeah, that's an iconic moment. And that's a moment that kind of feels more old fashioned, not kind of not from the 80s, but something maybe from the 40s or something. It's um, a very
0: only in the movies moment. Like, uh, I think mm. people people who dislike romantic comedies, and I'm not a huge fan of them, but every now and then I see one that makes me think, oh, yeah, this is what the genre is like when it works. Um, mm. But people who have this kind of sneery attitude from them are like, in real life, uh, if somebody tipped my table over, I'd be telling them to pick the table back up and clean up. It's like, yeah, it's okay. We know, we know. <laughs> it's like,
1: yeah but you know nicholas Gage. Mm.
0: yeah exactly he he mm. was gorgeous at this point wasn't he it is it's quite odd to think about now but he really yeah. was
1: and quite wolf-like as well appropriately wolf-like i probably did some um some undercover preparation work as a wolf yeah. in the california brush to just prepare for that i'm guessing
0: i guarantee you that's what he would have done yes
1: yeah yeah okay um what else oh yeah there's this running thing about labo m
0: oh um, yeah really which well is it. another great line actually that when she goes out to the opera and she's her mind is just blown by it, and says she was coughing her brains out but she kept singing
1: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> in classic opera fashion and of course that's when they find out that their dad is uh is having an affair like her mm-hmm. dad is having an affair um uh, with a younger more glamorous woman mm-hmm. um and they sort of have to sort of come to terms with it a little bit because they're both in a position where they're doing something sort of not
0: some of them has not, the moral high not, ground not, yeah. yeah
1: exactly yeah so it's a bit of an interesting scene that um but yeah i mean overall i uh, do you think it stands up today still this film
0: i think it does yeah like i think when you watch anything from like the well the 20th century as a whole now Hmm. i expect it to be dated in some ways the only difference is am i thinking oh god that's dated or am i thinking which films were like that still and this is very (laughs) much on the i wish they still made films like that end of the spectrum i think
1: yeah it, it reminded me of something like i say that from a much earlier period like a um a screwball comedy type black and white thing maybe
0: yeah, um, it definitely has a screwball vibe.
1: And it is sweet, and everything sort of works out quite neatly and mathematically. Um, I'm not so sure it still works. I, I think maybe too much... I think maybe it's of its, pe- of its time. Um, it's, you know, it's sweet in many ways, but... Um, and obviously share, share. But, I, I, oh, share. Um, but I don't think I could give it more than three stars honestly
0: um, would you give I'd, it more yeah I'd give it more I, I thought it, it's it's in a genre that I do not normally go out of my way to watch and it just breezed by <laughs> there's loads of funny lines and John Mahoney's in it and you know yeah. you can't sometimes mm. you can't really ask for more than that can you <laughs>
1: Well, I didn't like the dad character. I thought the slamming of the table and the like, throwing his weight around and being a knob. Generally. But then,
0: for Italian server. This is I know. just how for Italian,
1: etc. Yeah, pizza. Um, yeah. What's that? Jared
0: Leto's performance in House of Gucci that you were doing there.
1: Yes, it was. How did you know? And it's just like um, when his dad. Oh, and he's what's his job? Oh, he's a plumber. It's. All right, Mario, come on. I mean, where do you, where do you draw your inspiration from? Who, who knows? Who, who dares to dream these things? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, stereoty- I've, I've written down stereotypical Italians and classic gender stereotypes because that, you know, I wondered if like 1980s films were probably drawn in broader character strokes and maybe now we have more fine tuning. Um, and I think that's generally, I would say that's true.
0: I would say yes definitely but mm. at the same time you think people worship 80s films really don't they and I always find it I always find mm. it very strange when I see someone who's progressive in a lot of other ways <laughs> and they they like just have this obsession with how things were back in the 80s it's the first warning sign of early onset hadley freeman in my opinion <laughs>
1: Do you know, I haven't heard anything from her in ages.
0: Oh, she was writing for Unheard about how all young people are thick the other day. Um, <laughs> yeah, this must be the civil debate that they're always telling us to have.
1: Okay. Okay. How old is she now? She must have reached that age, I guess.
0: 90. kids. Or kids. maybe she just acts <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> I think we have a lot to learn from children. And um, I think, you know, everybody is valid. Everybody has their own interesting opinions. I don't, I think everybody can teach us something. And I think that is a giant mistake, a giant sweeping mistake, but not the first.
0: But it's just all nostalgia based in her case, isn't it? It's like uh, I remember she wrote a whole column about how millennials didn't understand how literature works because they didn't like Bridget Jones's Diary, and you think, Jesus Christ, at least pick Anna Karenina or something yeah. rather.
1: Yeah, you're falling into your own trap there, surely.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh. no, bizarre. <laughs> but yeah, I I, I felt very positive towards this film even if mm. as I say the impression it left me was more well that was nice rather than mm. that was brilliant and I must get on the podcast and discuss <laughs> the many fascinating <laughs> angles that it <laughs> thought it's took me on uh, because there weren't any other than yep yeah, that was really nice
1: mm. yeah I thought I, I thought it was a good sort of ensemble piece um I think maybe the male characters seem to be better drawn or more detailed or more mm, convincing, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I, I, I don't know. I, how does... <sighs> you get I don't know whether it's to do with the gender of the writer, possibly. But then you get Robert Harling, who's really good with,
0: yeah. with
1: all his characterizations in Steel Magnolias. It's just the sweetest thing ever.
0: 50. Tricky. Yeah. But um it's a it's a nice spot to, to leave for the time being to leave our examination of share because we have done two share-centric episodes. We've done Mamma <laughs> and we have done burlesque. Both of oh, which wow. both of which are from the you cannot be anything other than share, either. So it is it's nice to be reminded that. In the 1980s, she was not just a star; she was an actual proper actress who you could and yeah. people did put in films opposite Melvyn Streep, and it worked.
1: Yeah, and she was really she is good. I mean, she was really good in. Uh... She
0: was in Mask, which is, yes,
1: yeah. Oh my god, I whipped my eyeballs out when I saw that. She was really good in that. What's that one with Jack Nicholson, The Witches of Eastwick? The Witches of Eastwick, yeah. That's a great film. That was a great film. Um, I really enjoyed it at the time. Mind you, I haven't revisited it. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure
0: there were many things great. in an 80s Battle of the Sexes comedy starving Jack Nicholson <laughs> that have not aged well. Uh, but yeah, I will note There's some that...
1: bits of it that are so good and so spot on, though. Yeah.
0: So spot on. We mentioned Mask there, something I found out that was interesting, Cher won Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival for Mask, and that was, I think, two years before she won Best Actress at the Oscars for Moonstruck. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of people who win an award at Cannes before they're on the Oscars radar. It feels very weird that Cher is one of them, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. But we don't know what kind of um, uh, campaign was run to enable that to have the best chance, shall we say. I um,
0: suppose, yeah, it's it's a possibility that, you know, she fared better in Cannes because people in France did not have the memories of her being a, a sort of TV star and appearing on Scooby-Doo as she did. Um, oh did she she did yeah did not
1: know that (laughs) wow what a ledge in the 80s when she was in films we were sort of aware of the fact that she had a music career but we weren't there at the time yeah and so it was nice to sort of see her doing something different and it without having that really front and center i could you know, uh, over w- it yeah. yeah exactly it doesn't sort of interfere and you can take her at face value as an actor which mm. she accomplished really well
0: yeah absolutely mm. i think when we when we're talking about Cher's legacy there is we've talked about her music we've talked about her acting but i think the one thing that has to be brought up before the end of the podcast is her twitter feed
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah she does sometimes go off on one on twitter yeah but it's always entertaining
0: I think she is the only celebrity who regularly goes off on one on twitter and those occasions make you think more highly of her <laughs> Yeah, rather than in the exact opposite direction
1: <laughs> some of it is so sort of um pedestrian and every every day and normal though like it's not like giant iconic sh- uh, star share it's just like almost like you know somebody would write a shopping list or something it's just, there's some very ordinary stuff on there but yeah very worth very worth reading and following
0: she loves emojis my <laughs> god she loves emojis
1: <laughs> yeah think she understands emojis i
0: don't <laughs> as know it's as possible. A great they're grandma just, they're just decorative at this point aren't they mm-hmm. they're just like punctuation
1: yeah <laughs>
0: i think that's part of why that twitter feed has become such a cult thing is because there are so many celebrities on twitter who are very well behaved and very dull but you look at that and you think yeah, that share. Uh, no PR team is putting that many emojis in one tweet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely her. Um, and there's no censoring, really, that goes on there. Mm. It's just straight from the horse's mouth, as it were.
0: So, uh, anything else to note about Moonstruck before we move on?
1: No, uh, some good bits. Um, yeah. And uh, just sort of, yeah, not, not particularly challenging, but uh, but yeah, I'd really
0: like good. to say it's nice. I, I hope everyone appreciates nice, appreciate yeah. the, It's yeah, pretty it, nice, it I would nice. say. Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, enjoyed that level of analysis, uh, there's more <laughs> pop screen available on our Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com mm, nice. forward slash the geek show. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on social media where we are always at TGS underscore the geek show. But until next week, I've been Graham.
1: And I've been Sarah. Bye.